Don't try to counsel them. Don't try to tell them what they should do. Make sure they know that there's options. Make sure that they know you do not deserve this. Point out their good qualities. Respect their decisions if they decide that they want to stay. You don't know the reason, but they have reasons. Welcome to Better Together with Kasi Epifonsev, a podcast on parenting, business, and living life intentionally. We're here every week to bring you thoughtful conversation on making your own path to success, challenging the status quo, and finding all the ways we're better together. Here's your host, Kasi Epifonsev. Hey, y'all, this is Costa, and today I'm here with my guest, Melissa Garrett, Executive Director of Genesis House, a nonprofit organization that provides free confidential services to victims and survivors of domestic and sexual violence. Today, we're talking about finding a way out, surviving abuse, and how to support those seeking safety. For the past two decades, Melissa has worked tirelessly alongside Genesis House to aid victims and survivors in their healing journey by providing advocacy and services in collaboration with community partners. So, Melissa, thank you so much for joining me today. Can you tell us a little bit more about Genesis House and your position as executive director? Sure. Thank you for having me. Of course, you said Genesis House is a domestic violence, sexual violence agency. We support and provide services for those in need who are victims of domestic and sexual and or sexual violence. Well, of course, we have our shelter. That's what people know us by is our shelter. It's not a shelter you walk in and it's just a big room with a bunch of beds. We are a home. It's a two-story home located here in Cookville. We try to make it as homey as possible. All of our services are free. We um, keep the kitchen fully stocked. I think we just actually received a grant and got four more refrigerators so we can keep it fully stocked. All the comforts of home when it comes to laundry, um, we keep all of the hygiene products on hand uh, because 95% of the people that come to us come with nothing. We receive many donations from our community, from the nine counties that we serve. We have a storage unit that has uh, clothing and household items and things of that that sort uh, because, again, people come with nothing. We provide court advocacy. That's one thing that a lot of people don't know. Our advocates go out into the counties and usually in the general sessions courts and they support and provide advocacy with the criminal charges act as a liaison between the DA and the police department, the sheriff's department, the court personnel. And we're not attorneys. Um, we're not there to give legal advice. We're there to make sure they understand and they don't get lost in that system because a lot of times people come into this and this is the first time ever being in court. So we help walk them through and make sure they understand what's going on and make sure they get to the right person versus not knowing where to turn. Sure. We also assist with orders of protections, uh, which is a civil thing, and we can help write them. We can get them to the people who can write them, which would be the clerk's office, or we are fortunate enough to have the Upper Cumberland Family Justice Center, which we have one here in Putnam County that serves the whole 13th Judicial District. And they just opened up a satellite office in Overton County. So because transportation is such a big thing, they opened up one in Overton County to help better serve the people of Overton County Pickett and Clay. And with that, we were lucky enough and fortunate enough to receive a grant. We actually have an advocate stationed in Overton County. So Monday through Friday, there is someone from Genesis House there at their office. 
How does the process work? Do you serve people primarily in crisis? You know, the way that I envision this happening is you get a call in the middle of the night and somebody was a victim of domestic assault and they're fleeing their home to find shelter and a safe place. Is that how most of the interactions start or is that just like a common misconception? I wouldn't call it a misconception that happens. Okay. Um, it happens a lot. A lot of people flee when they can. Right. But we get calls throughout the day. Anytime. There is not a time that we have not received a call that the spouse, the, the boyfriend, the girlfriend has left. And this is my only time to get out. Usually when we re- work with law enforcement, it is an, of a night that we get calls from them and they are putting people in contact with us. But just yesterday, I took a call and it was about 10, 30, 11 o'clock. At night? No, during the day. Oh, during the yeah. day. Wow. And and she was uh, she was ready to go. She was ready to leave. And this was her best opportunity. So it does. It happens pretty much any time. And it necessarily does it come from just that person? No, it may be the hospital calling and saying, hey, um, we have someone here that would like to speak with you all and have no clue about services. And then we talk to them and it's like, well, yes, that's what I want to do. Or other agencies, the UCHRA, we have multiple agencies and we'll receive phone calls from them. Is domestic assault a common occurrence? Very. You know, we all know the black eyes, the physical parts, and of course, that's what you can see. But there are so many different types, um, whether it be a financial abuse, emotional abuse, isolation. Yeah, things like that. It's just uh, there are so many things. And the sad part is, is that a lot of people don't even recognize it as um, abuse. Some people just say that, you know, well, they check my phone constantly and I have to check in with them to let them know that I'm going to the store. And then when it's taking too long at the store, I have to contact them because they care or a jealousy. People say that, you know, well, they're just jealous, but that's because they love me. Uh, No, it's a power and control. What is the volume of people that you serve at the Genesis House, just in your best estimation, on a monthly basis? Oh, on a monthly basis, how many people, shelter, hotline, yes. port? I would say we could see anywhere from two to 300, especially through the whole COVID pandemic. Our hotline calls increased by 100%. I was surprised when we done our year-ending reports. I was double-checking, looking from the last year and current, the one we were reporting on. I was like, are we sure this is not a mistake? Because it just completely increased by 100%. And these are all new people, like new occurrences of domestic assault? Well, not necessarily. Uh, We have some that we start working with and it's a long process. We have like immigration. We deal with trafficking victims. So if they have immigration issues, there could be a point that, you know, in two months of work, work, work and things are going smooth. And then all of a sudden it's a stopping point because now we've got to wait and they may have a three to six month waiting period. Mm -hmm. If they're at the shelter, we're not going to say, well, your time's up. Well, there's nothing else we can do. You're you're stuck. No, they're going to stay there. They're going to stay there as long as they want to stay there as long as this process is still going on. You know, it's interesting because when you think of Genesis House, you think just domestic violence and you think just women. And so as we're talking, I start to realize when you get those calls in the middle of the day, it's not just from, you know, a wife that's being abused. It could be someone that's being trafficked and they're being held captive, right? And so the person that's holding them captive may have left and now they have this open window to call and say, I need help. I guess I never really considered that aspect, but I'm sure that's probably a lot of the calls that you receive are people that are being trafficked and need a safe place. I mean, you guys are like... 
you're at the tip of the spear when it comes to a lot of the pervasive and unfortunate circumstances that plague our society. I mean, how do you deal with that on a daily basis? Because it must be an extremely emotional job to do. It can be. And talking about the trafficking parts, um, the majority, I would say, and I'm no expert, I'm not an expert, but I would say the majority of trafficking victims in our area are they're trafficked by their family. They're trafficked by their spouse. They're trafficked by their boyfriend, their girlfriend. They're, it's not a stranger pimp. It's their family members. When it comes to shelter and our hotline, we say we serve nine counties, but that means we have advocates that go into these nine counties and provide the services. But if someone's coming and needs shelter, if they're coming from across country, from Davidson County, from wherever, if we have a bed available, that's what it's there for. Right. So we've had them come from from East Tennessee, and it's the parents actually trafficked the girl out. And I say girl, she was a young woman, but she had a a little bit of a learning impairment and... So she had an intellectual disability and her parents pimped her out. Exactly. What kind of, I mean... I know, right? And and that part, talking about the emotions, it does get hard sometimes when you deal with some of that. Because I have children. You said you have children. To think that a parent could actually put their child in that kind of situation, whether it be a child or a young adult, it doesn't matter. They're, they're still your child. Right. So... To know that there are people out there that have that mentality, it's scary. And my husband's law enforcement, and I work here at Genesis House. And we tell people, it's like, our kids don't have a chance when it comes to life. Because it's like, you don't go to people's houses and spend the nights unless we really know these people. Because I've seen too many scary incidents of sleepovers. And of course, we've always got our guard up. And that's the one, I say it's a negative, but me working in what I do and with my husband working with what he does, we always look for the bad first. So when we meet someone, it's almost like we're checking them out and what's the bad? We tell our kids monsters are not the nasty, green, scary thing. And it's it's people that look like us. Yeah. Those are the monsters. I'm getting off subject. But well, that's no, no, it's OK. I mean, do you think the world's become a scarier place? I think so. Yeah, I think so. But my mom told me, you know, we talk about raising kids now and it's just so hard and so bad and the world's so cruel. And my mom said, you know, we were kind of saying the same thing when you all were young because it's changed. Well, I'll tell you, when I was growing up, we came to the country as immigrants in 1994. My parents both worked multiple jobs. And so when I was seven, my parents said, hey, look, we can't pick you up from school. So you're gonna have to ride the bus. Here's the key to the front door. Go in, watch some TV. We'll be home in a couple hours. And so that's just what we had to do. And we lived in inner city Atlanta, like inside the 285 perimeter. So Metro, I forgot that I had to go to the after school program and I thought I had to ride the bus home. And when I got home, I didn't have my key, so I couldn't get in. So I walked back to school as like an eight-year-old and it, it was like a three four mile walk and a guy pulled over and gave me a ride half mile ride from like this cross intersection to where my school was and I just willingly got in the car and said yeah sounds good you know give me that half mile ride and I think back to that moment all of the things that could have went wrong and I know a hundred thousand percent. I mean, my parents had to do what they had to do given you know their circumstances, but I know a hundred thousand percent I would never let my son or daughter stay home. Uh, so maybe we've just become a little bit wise to some of the situations that are around us that we may not have been aware of. Maybe it's the internet that's given us a little bit more awareness to what's happening, or maybe the world really is becoming more and more challenging to navigate parents. 
Tell us a little bit about when the Genesis House opened and also what the origin story of it was. From what I know, it was in the early 1980s, and I believe it was a few nurses that had actually gotten together. And it was a small house here in town, like a one, two bedroom home. There was no funding. I mean, it was just them putting this together. And it just kind of grew from there. And then when it was like people were coming in and saying, hey, you know, you can get funds for this and just started adding and adding to. And then I don't know exactly the date, but I know we have clippings from the Herald Citizen of the the two-story home that was donated to Genesis House from a church coming down Washington. And they had the lines raised so the house could come through. So the house came through and was uh, set up on a piece of land that was donated. And the <laughs> we actually have a, a wooden security fence around that, the property. And the way we wow. got that was, I believe the phone company, I don't remember which one, published the phone number and the address. So um, being we were confidential and stuff, they provided the, the security fence. That's pretty much the origin of it. And then we've kind of just built from that to uh, grabbing the nine counties that we do, uh, working alongside the Tennessee Coalition to End Domestic and Sexual Violence, which is out of Nashville. We have grants through them. So, I mean, and you guys have evolved to not just serving women now, right? right? Yes. So you also serve men. And do you guys work with the LGBTQ community yes, as well? Yes, we actually have a specific grant through the coalition. It's a rural outreach grant, which allows us to provide uh, services to LGBTQ victims and male sexual violence victims. What is the most common misconception about male sexual violence? That it really happens because it does. A lot of people think it's one of those things of it happened and somebody caught wind of it. So now I'm going to change my story. But that's not the case. The stigma on that is men coming out and speaking up, whether it be sexual or domestic violence. The stigma and the taboo of I'm not going to be a victim of this other men are going to look at me as being less of a man. So it, it goes unreported a lot more, I would say, than than we know. Yeah, I can totally see that in terms of how I was raised. I can see how you don't want to feel emasculated, right? you know, because you may be abused by your spouse, but wait, you're a man. So it's kind of oxymoronic, you know, and so you get caught in this vicious cycle. But since this has become more mainstream, I'm assuming you do have more men now that stay at Genesis House now, Absolutely. Correct? When we first started the transitioning. It was sporadic and it was uh, maybe one here or one there. But now it's not uncommon to have three or four men at one time. A lot of people do have the misconception that men come in there for the wrong reason. Mm -hmm. And that's Again, the whole stigma of men cannot be victims. So we have this man coming into our shelter and it's either number one, he's going to cause problems. And that's not the case. Interesting. In your role as executive director, I mean, how do you destigmatize this culture of abuse, not just when it comes to males, but to everybody, everyone that's being abused? I mean, I feel like you're constantly getting out in front of it and having to champion like, look, pull back the veil. This is something we have to discuss. I mean, how how do you go about destigmatizing education? The biggest thing is, why did the person stay? Mm-hmm. Why did they stay in that situation? We try to back them up and say, why are you asking that? What you need to be asking is, why did this person abuse? This person didn't ask to be abused. And why the people stay? Many reasons. There are so many reasons. And the one example that I have is a lady from Virginia actually came to us many years ago. And the reason why she stayed was because he told her, if you ever leave, you will watch both of your sons die. And that was going to be the punishment. Wow. So she waited till both of her kids, 12 years, to both of her kids were in college across country somewhere. And then she escaped. 
So there are reasons. Yeah. There are threats. And you may not believe this threat, but the person that has had this abuse put on them and put on them, they believe the threat. Yeah. They're isolated. Mm -hmm. They've had, you know, emotional and and mental abuse, you know, on top of potential physical abuse. So, wow, that, that is a lot to take in. On that note, I mean, how, if you suspect that somebody is being abused, I mean, how do you approach a loved one to talk about their options or talk about getting them out of a situation like that? Even for me, it would be hard. If it was a sister, sure. a relative, it would be hard. But the best thing to do is, number one, believe. Don't try to counsel them. Don't try to tell them what they should do. Make sure they know that there's options. Make sure that they know hey, you do not deserve this. Point out their good qualities. Respect their decisions if they decide that they want to stay. You don't know the reason, but they have reasons. Sure. Domestic violence has emotions attached to it. If someone assaults you out on the street, that's easy to prosecute. That's easy to hang on. There's nothing there. I'm not connected. But when it's your spouse... There was love there, apparently, at one time, and it's not a light switch that could be switched off. And I even tell people, because they're like, what would you do in this situation? I don't know. If my husband ever done something like that to me, I don't know what I would do. Honestly, it's not a light switch. You can't switch off. If it was a situation, and this was the example that we give, is that, you know, you go out on a date, first date, you walk out, you get in the car, they punch you. Probably the date's going to end. You're going to get out and probably not going to see that person again, but that's not how it happens. It doesn't happen at first. It's something that's gradually put in. Little things, little steps to manipulate. No pressure and no judgment. You're stupid for staying there. I can't believe you put up with that. Uh, And that's what a lot of family members, because when you have that family member, it's almost like you have that level of, I'm going to be real, you know? And even though I'm thinking the same thing, I can't believe you even put up with that. I have to say, I don't understand. You know, I can't even comprehend being in the situation that you're in. But there are services out there. I am here at any point in time, whatever I could do to help you. I'd like to talk a little bit about the pandemic because you mentioned that the amount of people that you've been serving has gone up 100% since the pandemic. What do you think caused it? And secondly, are you prepared as a team to handle this exponential rise of domestic violence? Our team is tired. (laughs) I have to say, we have some wonderful staff with big hearts. They have to. Of course, we do have little meetings and we actually went out, I went out to eat um, last week just to sit and chill. They work hard answering phone calls and the phone calls, the increase, it's not necessarily that this person has been abused and needs a place to stay. It could be that this person just got out of a relationship. I have a place to stay, but I need a microwave or I I need food or I need mattress. And these are things that as long as we have them on hand, which is donations from the community, it's theirs. A lot of that with the pandemic, um, people losing jobs, people losing their residence and, and things of that sort. We have had an increase in calls for help and resources. How big is your team? There's what, 11 of us? Okay. Full-time, part-time. Okay. So do you think you guys are equipped to handle the demand at this current time? We are dealing. The staff, they're pulling more than their own weight and dealing with situations. But would I love to have more? Absolutely. Yeah. Would I love to be able to pay them more? Absolutely. Because they all deserve so much more with what they deal with. So from where you're at right now to where you want to be, what's the missing link? 
Uh, money. Okay. Got it. <laughs> we get grant funds. We've got to be able to provide services when it comes to food, when it comes to transportation yeah. and the basics. But I would love, 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 love to see a grant come through the works that specifically says, hey, this is just for salaries. That way I could give the money to the ones that get out there and do all the hard work. Well, and I hope that the people that are listening to this understand the sense of urgency and the amount of engagement that you have with people in need in our community. And so they champion the necessity for Genesis House to be funded adequately, maybe using some of the American Rescue Plan, the ARP money that's coming through, uh, maybe even the infrastructure money. I know it's not supposed to come in until next year, but funding a program like the Genesis House is the least that we can do to support women in this community. And from everything that we've talked about today, this is not a small problem. This is something that affects every pocket of the nine counties that you serve in the Upper Cumberland. It's nine counties. You've got 11 people on your staff. You're supporting people not just that are affected by domestic and sexual violence, but it seems like you're also supporting people that are in poverty. Mm -hmm. So I think the least we can do, like I said, is provide adequate funding through federal grants, through state grants, through personal donations, businesses supporting Genesis House. So this needs to be right up there with all of the key organizations that are nonprofit in, in our area as well. How can the community work together to end domestic abuse, support women, and specifically, what resources do women need to regain their livelihood and rebuild their life? The biggest thing is support. And when I say support, that comes in many different forms, whether it be financial or, like I said, we, we take donations from the, the community. We take anything because majority of people that come in our program, uh, especially when they come through the shelter, they are getting to a safe place and that's where they're at. They need the basics to move on if they get their own apartment or their own house. We'll take household items, mattresses, furniture, pretty much anything, hygiene supplies, cleaning supplies, anything basic, because that helps. When that person is getting out and getting their own place, they can go into our storage unit and it's not, well, you get one of these and one of these, it's theirs. Some staff members that come in and they're like, well, that person's stealing stuff. And I'm like, they can't steal stuff that's not yours. I mean, who are they stealing from? It's theirs. It was given to us to give to them. It's theirs. And then, you know, you have those people that come in that never have had more than one pair of shoes. So they go into a place and there's 30 pairs of shoes and 15 of them fit them. Who are we to say, no, you get one pair of shoes, you know? So we try to make sure they understand, you know, you can't stack up and hoard in your bedroom because you're not the only one in there. But I'm not going to be the one to tell them that they can't get two pair of shoes. Whatever kind of program or group or club, uh, let us come. We'll talk. Yeah, absolutely. You never know who you're going to run into. You just never know. So before we wrap up, I've got one more question, and it's specific to our area. Something that we've been noticing is homelessness has been rising. Are you seeing an uptick in people going to Genesis House that are homeless, that may have traveled here from other parts of the state or even country and are now homeless in Cookville? Are they coming to Genesis House? I believe that, yes, there has been an increase in that. If someone calls us and says that they are a victim, 
victim of domestic or sexual violence, we don't ask questions other than, well, can you give me a little bit about the situation and what's, you know, what's going on to make sure we can provide the resources that are needed or if we need to find something else. But we don't ask for prove it. That's not something that we do. There was one situation that we had a couple different people come into the shelter. And then all of a sudden there was a few other ones. And then they started talking. It was like, oh, that's so and so. And that's so and so. And that, oh, yeah, we were all at the rescue mission. We know that's going to happen. So we start our program when, when someone comes in. It's a 30 day program. We have 30 days. And that's mainly because in any kind of program or resource, you're going to have someone that's going to take advantage or going to abuse you know, the situation. So, you know, when we have someone who comes in and all they do is sit and watch TV all day, you have exhausted our services after that 30 days. You know, we're providing you a bed and that's pretty much it. And so let's find some place that may be better fit for you. But that 30 days is not set in stone. We have had people that's come into the shelter. And as long as the case planning, whether it's stalled or it's still going, as long as that case planning is still going, there's no time limit. We've had people that have been there for six months, eight months, a year. If they're working on something and it's taken that long, everybody's situation is different when it comes to that. It's a way to give people that are suffering abuse And I know you can't necessarily stop all exploitation, but for people that are suffering from domestic and sexual violence, this is a place that they can live, that they can receive legal aid, that they can receive emotional support, that they can put the pieces of their life back together. And the Genesis House is committed to supporting them through that entire process. Exactly. And the turnaround when it comes to the survivor part. It is very, very common for the same person to be coming back to the shelter for the third, fourth, seventh time. Mm -hmm. There's no judgment on that. The stats show it takes a person like up to seven times to quit going back. If we can be that stepping stone and whenever they say I'm going back or if they leave not without even telling us, if they call, it's, hey, we're here. That's what we're here for. If they do tell us, hey, you know what? Going to give it a try. I'm going back. Then, okay, well, can we at least safety plan and kind of, you know, go through a few things? But we're here. There's no judgment. There's no told you so or you're crazy for doing that. It's we support. Again, we go back to the no judgment, even though in our hearts we're thinking, oh my gosh, don't, please don't. All we can do is say we're here and not put that barrier up because if we put a barrier up and then they'd have no one to call the next time it happens because they're afraid to call us or ashamed to call us because we made them feel like they're crazy for going back. So we stand by them and we just safety plan as much as we can and let them know, call us if you need us. Well, it's very, very important work. I commend you guys and I hope that you find all of the support, specifically financial support necessary to accomplish your goals. We always, and this is going to be difficult, but we always like to end the show on a high note, who is someone that makes you better, Melissa, when you're together? I don't know if I would ever tell him this because his head would get really, really big, but it would be my husband. He is my other half. I'm not going to say better or worse half because I I think that we both have our days and you could be either one. My husband is the uh, sheriff of Overton County. And if it wasn't for him, first of all, he kind of can see, you know, when I come home and I have a rant of, oh, my gosh, this happened and this happened. And of course, we're confidential, so I'm not giving them specifics, but just generalized hypothesis of something. But he kind of gets it. And then when he comes home and I kind of get his because I do work alongside law enforcement, I I don't know what I would do without him as a sounding board and his support. Thank you for joining us on this episode of Better Together with Costa Yepafonso. 
If you enjoyed listening and you want to hear more, make sure you subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you find your podcasts. Leave us a review, or better yet, share this episode with a friend. Better Together with Costa Yepafonsiv is a Costa Yepafonsiv production. Writing and production by Morgan Franklin. Want to find out more about Costa? Visit us at costayepafonsiv.com. We're better together. 